It's so good to be back here. I love fall. I love when school starts, right? I know you love school starting and classes, but I don't have to go to class, all right? And I get to hang out with you guys during the school year. So I'm excited about this uh, school year starting. And if you're returning from last year, I just want to start by saying we're so pumped you're back. Like, that means a lot to me. Thank you for coming back. Uh, That means you must like it here somewhat. And it's good to see you again. And if you're new, I just want to say we've been preparing or preparing for you all summer. We've been praying for you. We've been praying that God would bring just the right students to our group to help make us an even stronger family. Because we believe every freshman class brings a unique contribution to our ministry. And also transfer students. Are there any transfer students here tonight? All right, come on. Transfer students need some love in this place. I'm just saying. Transfer students are the best. But it's so good to see you guys. I'm so glad you're here. And as we've been saying all night long, uh, our heart's desire is that this place would feel like home. All right? There's a difference in the way we feel at home as opposed to out in public, right? Like there's a sense of relief. There's a sense that we can be ourselves, a sense that we can kind of sit on the couch and relax a little bit. And that's our prayer for you is that each time you come into a Chi Alpha service or small group that you would feel like you can be yourself. And, and not just that, though, we don't want you just to feel at home. We also want you to encounter the real God, right? There's a real God who loves you. And our prayer is that each of you would encounter his love and then also grow into his likeness. So that's our prayer for you. And I'm gonna be bold tonight and say that I don't think anybody's here by accident. There's probably some of you who got drugged to that barbecue on Saturday. Where's Marcus? Marcus I grilled a ton of burgers. He had smoke up in his face. He's probably gonna have to go to the hospital for secondhand smoke, but it was incredible, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, so maybe you got drugged here because of a barbecue, or maybe someone gave you an invite card on Canvas, maybe you saw a table tonight, or maybe you're looking for a Canvas ministry. I don't know how you got here tonight, or maybe you don't even wanna be here, right? Like some of you just like somehow ended up here, but uh, so my prayer for you, or I want to be bold and say that I don't think you're here by accident. I think God has a plan for you tonight. I think he wants to speak to you. I think he wants to meet with you because we believe that God meets with us today. And I believe he's going to speak to your heart. So for those of you who don't actually know me, my name is Daniel. I think my name was up on the screen. And I'm married to Emily, the one who was up here before. Very nice lady, right? Very, well, I won't say, well, she is pretty, but yeah, very nice lady. And we have a daughter named Jane. Okay, if you throw up this picture, she's at home. She's gorgeous, all right, and we're so glad, or so thankful that God has called us to work with college students. Like, this is my full-time job. I do this 40 hours a week, sometimes 60 hours a week, and this is our heart's desire to spend time with college students and help them follow Jesus. But it's not just me and her who work here. We also have five other full-time workers. So we got uh, Marcus Boldy right here, right, Stud Muffin. He's an intern with us. We got John and Casey Griffin. We got Derek and Taylor Quimby. Derek was the guy right here. And we got Katie Craig, who I think was over here. But an incredible team of people who do this full time, right? And our heart is to walk with you in college. We actually go and raise money so we can do this. We just want to spend time with you and help you follow Jesus if that's what you want to do. Or we'll just be your friend if you don't want to follow Jesus. But I hope you'll get to know us and we want to get to know you. And I also should say, or should say that we're not just on this campus. We also work at Upper Iowa University and Hawkeye Community College. So God's doing some cool stuff in our ministry and we're excited about Uh, what he's calling us to. So each of us who are on this team just deeply love Chi Alpha. Like, we bleed Chi Alpha, okay? So Casey woke up sick this morning, and she's like, nothing's gonna stop me from coming tonight. And I'm pretty sure she's still sick, but she's here, so just stay away uh, if you don't wanna get sick. But she is diehard, right? We're all diehard about Chi Alpha, and it's not because, you know, Chi Alpha is the best thing ever or anything like that. It's not better than anything else, but for us, each of us actually came to faith in Jesus or... uh, or recommitted our hearts to Jesus through Chi Alpha. We were each you and I students. 
every single one of us. And we came as freshmen, and God encountered us. God changed our lives through Chi Alpha, so we love it. We're just so thankful to be part of it. But before I go further, I just want to take a moment, and, and before we jump into scripture or anything like that, I just want to share my story with you, because I think it's kind of funny how sometimes we have people come up on stage who we don't know, and then they talk at us for 30 minutes, and, and we're expected to listen to them, right? And, and if you don't know me, that's kind of weird, right? So I just want to take some time and share my story so you know who I am, and hopefully you trust me a little bit, okay? So uh, for me, I grew up in church, okay? I, I grew up wanting to be a Christian, but for me, my life until I got to college was a life of, of calling myself a Christian, but not actually allowing God to have full leadership of my life. I grew up with parents who loved Jesus, but I was, and I was always pretty active in my youth group, but I struggled all throughout middle school and high school to really give my whole heart to Jesus. And, and specifically, I'm going to be real with you. Is that okay? Can I share my like, deepest struggles with you right now? I know it's weird because we just met, and this is crazy, but here's my number. Okay, I'm not going to sing, but, but I think that's an old song. I don't know if you guys know that song, but point is, uh, I'm going to be real, okay? So for me, like the big thing that separated me from God, or I felt like separated me from God in middle school and high school was I struggled with pornography. Okay, I said it, all right? And I'm going to be real with you guys because I know we all struggle with stuff, right? And I struggled with pornography, and this caused me to feel so much shame. And I would come to services like this where the band's playing loud, the preacher's yelling, it's exciting, and I would say, I'm never going back to that sin. I'm never going to do that again. And I would continually fall back into my old habits and routines of letting sin have its way in my life. I felt like in order for God to want to be around me, then I needed to figure this thing out, right? I needed to clean up my life. I needed to deal with this sin. So this led to some hiding from God and some shame and guilt. And when I got to my junior year of high school, things got worse. I began to party and do things with girls that I shouldn't have. I was drinking a lot. And, but despite all of this, I still believed in Jesus. I still believed him to be the son of God. I still believed that he rose from the dead. I, so this is, there was this tension in my heart of struggling with all this junk that Jesus says we shouldn't do, but at the same time believing that he's Lord, and somehow I couldn't get out of it. And this all came to a, a breaking point. About a month before I came to you and I as a freshman, I had just kind of crossed every line that I had set for myself, okay? So I got to this point where I just felt so broken and like God could never love me. Specifically, I was at a party. I took things way too far with a girl. And for me, I felt like, okay, now God could never love me because I screwed up that badly. And I went home the next morning, and I just began to weep before the Lord in my bedroom, just crying, just asking God, could you ever love me after I've done these things? I, I'm so sinful, I'm so broken, could you love me? And my mom comes into the room, all right? So mama, coming to the rescue, right? She comes in, and she just consents it, like, sense that something's going on. Obviously, I'm crying, but she kind of knew specifically. How does mama know that stuff? I don't know. But anyway, she began to pray, and she prayed, Jesus, show Daniel that there's nothing that he could ever do that could ever separate himself from your love. Nothing. And boom, in a moment, my heart changed. My heart felt so hard before. It felt like that God could never love me. And all of a sudden, I felt the warm embrace of Jesus that says, I don't love you because of the good things you've done. I don't not love you because of the bad things you've done. I love you because you're my son and have called you to be in relationship with me. I met this Jesus, really, I think, for the first time in that moment, this Jesus that his love never gives up on us. And something lit up in my heart as I figured out that, that wow, this Jesus actually loves us. Like, he actually loves you. Do you believe that? Jesus actually loves you. He's not just putting up with you. He actually likes you. He delights in you. 
That blows my mind. All the things I've done, how could Jesus still delight in me? And it lit a flame in my heart. I came to you and I, and a guy named Jonathan, I think he's in the back, all right, so yeah, so he weighed really, you know, very, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, he's he's trying to be incognito back there, but anyways, Jonathan calls me on the phone a week after this. He's starting at Chi Alpha Campus Ministry here at you and I, and he got my phone number from a youth pastor, and he said, hey, Daniel, I heard you play the drums. Okay, I throw up this picture here. Play the drums. He said, I need a drummer for my worship team. Would you want to come play drums? And I'm thinking, this Jonathan guy is cool, okay? He's a sweet dude, and he's starting a campus ministry. I'm only a freshman, and he wants me to play drums for this thing called Chi Alpha. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds cool, right? I show up to the first service. There's like 10 people there. I'm like jamming out. There's like 10 of us. <laughs> but one of those people was my wife, Emily, and I met her the first time in the very first Chi Alpha service ever happened the very first college service that ever happened on this campus, I met my wife, Emily, during the greeting time. So meet and greet, like you may have just met your spouse. I'm just saying, all right? And so I met Emily, and God just began to grab our hearts through Chi Alpha. We were discipled in Chi Alpha. So we say this word disciple a lot. It just means to become like Jesus and to follow him. And God called us into ministry. And now here we are, eight years later, um, actually leading Chi Alpha now. And we've been leading it for four years. And and God has just been moving on our campus. God's been doing an amazing thing. Like, this is a culmination of eight years of people praying. Like, the last 30 days, even, we've been prayer walking twice a day on this campus. And, and we're believing that God wants to do something great in our time here at the University of Northern Iowa. I don't believe God called me to you and I or you or anyone in this room to you and I just to get a degree. I believe he called you here to completely wreck you with his love, first off. It starts with that. But then to use you to change this campus in a good way, and change the world. And that's why we do university ministry. We believe that through a group of university students who are sold out for Christ, we can change the entire globe. We believe that. This is an incredible thing to be a part of. So that's enough about our story, but I just wanted to share that with you so you know where we came from. And I'll share more throughout the year. I love to share stories and, and be vulnerable before you. But uh, before we jump into the word, I just want to say this. I know it's something that I know that's true for all of us, right? Although some of our struggles are unique, we all have a common struggle. I believe that. We all have a common struggle. And that struggle is trying to figure out what place God should have in our life. Some of us think about it a lot. Some of us don't think about it very much. But we all struggle with trying to figure out how we should relate to this God. Should he be someone we just talk to on Sundays? Or should we even talk to him at all? It's kind of weird. He's invisible. How do we talk to this God? Is he real? And if he is real, is he even good? Who is this God? These are questions we all ask, even me, right? Because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I figured it all out. All of us struggle with trying to figure out how we relate to God. And and what I think we'll find tonight as we kick off this sermon series is that the main way that God wants us to relate to him is to give him our whole hearts. That's the first thing, to surrender our hearts to him. And as long as we're living and we're willing to turn from our ways and give him our whole hearts, he is going to invite us into an intimate relationship with him. It's an incredible, incredible thing. So with that said, tonight we're going to kick off our first sermon series of the year called Revival. That sounds cool, right? So what is revival? Well, it's a churchy word. And it just is this idea when people, this concept of when people are awakened or they're, or they're reawakened to the love of God. They, 
are awakened in such a way that they commit their whole selves to him. Sometimes this happens with individuals like it did with me in 2011 when I came to Christ again. Sometimes it happens with groups of people where they're all going all in and something's happening inside. God's waking up hearts. And what we're praying for with this series is is just that God would wake up our hearts, so to speak, that, that God would spark individual revival in our own hearts, but also in this whole community. And for the first week tonight, we're gonna just talk about the simple truth that God wants to have relationship with us. In the sermon title, it's called Life with the Father. So what we're gonna talk about is how revival starts. Revival, or this awakening starts when we come into relationship with our Father in heaven. Revival comes when we realize that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. There's no other way that's going to lead to life. Revival comes when we experience the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and the freedom of God, and we surrender everything to him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen. And also, we have some good-looking Bibles over here that are completely free for you. Kind of looks like this. Go grab one after service. Tonight, we're looking at Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at a story that Jesus told 2,000 years ago to a group of religious people. The most messed up people of Jesus' day were being changed by his love. They were being completely transformed. And the religious people and the religious leaders of the day were getting frustrated with Jesus. They, and Jesus wanted the, these religious people to realize that everyone is a sinner and that everyone needs God's love and forgiveness, even them, even the religious people, even people who follow all the rules need God's love and forgiveness. So Jesus tells a story here of two brothers. There's a younger brother and an older brother, and, and these two brothers represent two different types of sinners, and then there's a father in the story who represents God. So as we read this story, I just want to encourage you to try to put yourself in the shoes of the two brothers. Like we'll read about the younger one first and then the older one. Try to put yourself in their shoes and then try to relate to the father in this story as if he were God in your life, okay? And I think if you do that, it's gonna change your world. I really believe that. So let's read it. It says this, and Jesus said that there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he, and he divided his property between them. So to the ancient audience that Jesus was speaking to, this request was shocking. Asking for your inheritance while your father was still alive was the same as to wish him dead. It was making a statement that you want your father's stuff, but you don't want him. And what's even more shocking to this culture is the father's response. In this culture, a traditional father would have kicked his son out and said, you ain't getting no inheritance. However, the father says, okay, here you go. He gives him his he gives him his inheritance. He's probably like 20 years old. He gives him his inheritance already and allows him to leave. This is a big deal because in this culture, land was everything, right? Land was everything. It was passed down from generation to generation. So when the brother came and asked his father to give him this land, it was essentially him asking his father to tear his life apart, and his father did it for him, all right? So that helps you kind of understand what's going on. And then verse 13, it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who set him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. 
He's saying, please give me that stuff. It's delicious. And no one gave him anything. He couldn't even get the pods that the pigs were fed with. But then when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father, but, okay, this is big. But then while he was a long way off or a far way off, his father saw him in the distance and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Dudes kissed each other here. Fathers kissed sons, grown sons. Sometimes I'll kiss a guy on the cheek. I'm not going to lie. But anyways, this is off the charts love. The father sees his wayward son, and he runs to him. This might not be a big deal to us, but in this culture, in this Middle Eastern culture, patriarchs did not run. They did not do that. But in this case, he picks up his robes, he bears his legs, and he runs to his son showing just how deeply he cares for his lost son. And he plants a big old kiss on him. All right, let's keep reading. This is good stuff. And the son said to him, Father, he's starting to say his speech. I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring that fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Wow, this son had completely betrayed his father. The father had every right to reject him, but then when he came back, he embraced him and welcomed him back into his family. So I think tonight, just like this younger brother, each of us need to realize that that life with the father is better than anything that the world can give us. The younger brother failed to realize that that relationship with his father was the way to a full life. So for us, relationship with God is the way to a full life. He thought that staying in relationship with his father was going to prevent him from realizing his dreams and living the full life that he wanted to live. So he took matters into his own hands and asked his father to give him the inheritance ahead of time. And he says, I don't want you, but I want your stuff. I want what the world can give me. It didn't take him long to realize that that this life without the Father's love and guidance was not what it was cracked up to be. It was not a very good life. Each of us in this room, every one of us, make the same mistake as the younger brother. Oftentimes, we think that God is holding out on us. We think God is preventing us from stepping into a full life, and if we really surrender to him, then he's gonna steal our fun and our joy, and we're gonna miss out on something that the world is offering us. Because of this, we pursue all the things that the world offers. We pursue money and pleasure and adventure, right? Like, we have so many... I go into Hobby Lobby a lot because I like uh, decor, okay? So it's like adventure awaits out there, right? We pursue adventure. We pursue uh, success, our dreams, our popularity, and so forth. But we don't really pursue God. And none of these things are bad. I like my fair share of adventure signs, but (laughs) everything on earth is actually, in its purest form, a good gift from God. Because God created the earth. He created the things in it. They're good gifts. However, when we make these good things into ultimate things, or we make these good things into gods in our lives, they become sin. And when we put them over God, they actually lead to our destruction. So for instance, I'll use two examples. One is money. So money is a good gift from God. It helps you pay for things like your car payment, your insurance, 
getting to school, all these things. And it's pure as for money is not a bad thing. However, when we take money and make it an ultimate thing, it becomes greed and it begins to consume our lives. It begins to become our purpose. Making more money is the reason why we exist. And it replaces God as the Lord of our life. And at this point, it becomes sin and it ruins our lives. The second thing I'll say, and I know this is hard for some of us, us Kyle, people like our food, but food in its purest form is a good gift from God. However, when we make food into an, an ultimate thing, we fall captive to the sin of gluttony, and we become unhealthy. It destroys us, all right? So the list goes on and on. Those are just two examples, but God knows that if we make anything other than him our God, then it's going to destroy us. It's actually going to lead to our destruction, and that's why God wants us to pursue him first, put him above everything else, and then put everything else in subjection to him. We can enjoy money and food and all these things, but put it within his loving parameters. Put him first. Put those things under him. If we're honest with each other, we've all fallen into the trap of taking the good things that God has created and making them ultimate things. We've all pursued the world over Jesus. I've done it. Pursued uh, success and, and money. We've pursued popularity, sex, and pleasure over God. And we've taken good things that God has called us to enjoy and we perverted them and made them our Lord's. Tonight, we need to realize that life with the Father is the best life. And that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy us like God can. So for me personally, I thought sexual fulfillment outside of marriage would fulfill me. But it came up short. I thought that getting drunk would really just complete me. But every time I woke up in the morning, I did have a hangover, so that didn't help. But also I felt empty, felt sad. It didn't complete me. I thought being popular, which I wasn't actually successful at, but I thought that would complete me, right? But it didn't actually work out for me. I thought that getting straight A's something that would fulfill me. It didn't. Like, I got straight A's in college, and the person who hired me didn't even want to see my transcript. It stinks, right? I'm just saying. Everything that I pursued over God actually left me rolling around with the pigs, just like the younger brother experienced. The only person who can be our Lord is Jesus. Jesus is the only way we can live a life of joy and satisfaction. Some of us tonight are like the younger brother, we need to realize that the best life is life with the Father. Nothing this world offers can complete us. But this isn't the end of the story. There's actually an older brother. He can be kind of a turd, all right? So we're going to read about him. In verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He's like, why is there music and dancing? And he called one of the servants, and, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother's come. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him to come back into the party, but he answered his father. He says, look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your commands. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I feel like that's what we complain about, right? Like, God, our father, give me a goat that I can celebrate with my friends. I'm kidding. We don't do that. It's a joke. But anyways... But then when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. All right, so the older brother is upset that his father would pay this much to welcome his younger brother back in. Because by bringing him back in, the younger brother is actually going to be an heir to the wealth again, but this time to a diminished wealth, all right? So the older brother is adding this up in his head, and he's saying, now my inheritance is smaller. My younger brother is going to take some of my inheritance after he's already squandered his own. He's thinking, my brother should be cast out to the pigs. He doesn't get his inheritance again. 
And the older brother is realizing this profound truth that obedience or just or just following rules without actually having a relationship with your dad does not actually lead to extra blessing over his brother. He, he says to his dad, look, I've served you many years. And when he says, look, you gotta understand, this is a sign of deep disrespect in this culture to say, look like that to your father. The father responds and he says to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. He's found. So the father responds with grace. He says, my son, despite your deep disrespect, all mine is still yours. Come back into the party. I'm not going to disown you or your brother. Come back into the party. Let's celebrate together. And then the story ends. It ends. We don't know what the older brother did. And Jesus did that on purpose. Jesus was a masterful preacher and storyteller. And he leaves the religious leaders with the choice who he's speaking to. He's saying, religious leaders, are you going to stop just trying to follow rules to get God to be in your debt? Or are you going to come into the party and experience relationship with God? And he leaves it there. We don't know what the older brother did. And it leaves us each with the question, do we want relationship with God or do we want divine brownie points? Do we want relationship with God or blessings? That's the question. And like the older brother, we need to realize that that life with the Father is better than anything that he can even give us. You're like, huh? What is he talking about? If this story ended with a younger brother, it would suggest that the only people who need grace and forgiveness are the wild ones. I was more wild. My, my uh, younger brother over here was not as wild, right? So Derek doesn't need grace because he's followed rules. I do because I'm an idiot. That's what it would suggest. It would, su- it would suggest that that well-behaved people don't need the Father's grace. It would suggest that as long as you follow a couple rules in the Bible, then you'll be good. But God is not after a people who just follow rules. He's after a people who love him with their whole hearts. And let me repeat that again. God is not after rule followers. He's after a people who love him with their whole hearts. He's not after people Or he doesn't just want us to behave. He wants us to behold. He doesn't want us just to do a few things. He wants us to fix our eyes on him and love him and pour out our affection to him. As we've seen, sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is misplacing our affections. Sin is wanting God's stuff instead of God. Sin is making the things of this world our gods. Sin is thinking that that life with God is not a good life. Both of these brothers, both of them wanted what they could get for themselves, but they didn't actually want God. And the younger brother was more open about this. He, he took his inheritance. But the older brother, his desire for the father's stuff and not the father himself was not as obvious. And the thing we find at the end of our story is he was only in relationship with his father to see what he could get. He thought, if I'm a good boy, then I'll get that or get my father's land at the end, which is why he was so ticked when his younger brother came back. And many of us tonight are like the older brother. We only obey God because we think it'll get us some rewards. We only obey God so we don't go to hell. I said it. Some of you pray to prayer a lot of times so you can get out of hell, but you haven't prayed to prayer to actually have a relationship with God. There's many of us who obey God so we'll be blessed. 
and we want an easy life, and we think if we go to church a few times a month, then God will bless us. We might go to church to fulfill a religious obligation, but we don't actually want God for God. We want God for something else. We want God for what we think we can get from him by obeying him. Just like the younger brother, us older brothers in the room need forgiveness too. We need forgiveness for thinking that the things that God can give us are better than, are better than life with God himself. We need forgiveness for only pursuing God as a means to an end and not as the end itself. We need to realize that we don't pursue God so we can get into heaven or so we can be blessed. We pursue God because we've been so moved by his radical love shown through Jesus Christ on a cross and we respond to that by giving our whole lives to him. And the beautiful thing for all of us in this room tonight who struggle with the older brother's sin is he responds to us in the same way that he did with that older brother. He invites us to come into the party and enjoy life with him. He's just waiting for us to join him in true relationship. For me, one of the things that actually led to my fallout with God as a teenager is I thought I was or supposed to do some things to get him to obey me or to love me. I thought if I obeyed God, he would love me and give me blessings. So then when I didn't obey God, I thought he hated me. I didn't understand that God already deeply loved me and he paid the price for my sin on the cross. And out of that, I should obey him. Because of this, I couldn't get victory over my struggles. I wasn't trying to obey because I loved God. I was trying to obey to get God to love me. And I was so tired and worn out. I was burned out trying to earn God's love. And and when I realized that I couldn't be holy on my own, I couldn't bring anything to the table to get him to love me, and that he still loved me despite that, that changed me. I realized that I didn't need to pursue God to earn his love. He already loved me. And then I was able to respond to that love by going after him with everything I had. As I encountered God's deep love for me, it helped me to obey him because love is a stronger motivator than fear. Love is a stronger motivator than fear. Some of us are afraid of God. We should have a healthy fear of him, but we're afraid that he's going to smite us, and that's why we try to obey him. But God wants us to obey him because we love him, and that's a much better motivator. That's going to help us to actually be the people that God has called us to be. If we're honest tonight, some of us are older brothers. We've done the church thing. We've been religious. We went to youth group. Maybe we don't drink or smoke or have sex outside marriage, but we don't actually have an intimate relationship with God. We don't really love him. We're not eager to spend time with him. Going to church is a drag. We don't read our Bible. We don't want to grow in our faith. We're just going through the motions. God is asking us tonight to come into the party of joy and life and relationship with him. But in order for that to happen, we have to swallow our pride come into the party and begin to have a relationship with him, not for anything he can give us, but because we love him. And the beautiful thing about our God, their sin does not have to have the final word. It doesn't matter if we committed the younger brother's sin of pursuing the world over Jesus or the older brother's sin, trying to get God to give us stuff. There's grace for each of us. There's hope. So the third thing and final thing tonight is life with the Father is available to each one of us. As we see with the younger brother, the only thing it took for him to enter back into relationship with his father was to come back to him. All he had to do was to turn around. And for those of us here tonight who haven't been walking in true relationship with God, all you gotta do is turn around and run towards him, even with all your junk. And when we do, this is how God responds. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his hand 
So picture God saying this about you, okay? Picture it. God saying, put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Put shoes on her feet. Kill the fattened calf for her for him. And kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son or my daughter was dead, but now she's alive again. She was lost, but now she's found. Picture God saying that to you. Even after everything you've done, and we all know we're messed up. Like, you messed up, all right? I'm messed up. All the junk, he knows everything, he knows every thought we've ever thought. Despite all that, he's still ready to put a robe on us and a ring on our finger. That should mess with us. That should change us. God wants to do that for each of us tonight. And I'm telling you, when you get wrecked by the love of God, it changes everything. When you realize he doesn't love you because of your religious rituals. Like, we really think going to church is going to make God like us. How ridiculous is that? Like, when you realize that God loves you despite anything you've done or could do, that changes you. So tonight, the main idea, the big thing I want you to get is this. Revival starts, this awakening starts when we realize, when we realize that the life with God is the best life and we run towards him with everything we have. If you came in here tonight and you relate with a younger brother, I want to speak to you for a second. I know the temptation to pursue what the world offers. Sometimes it looks really, really attractive. It looks delicious. Like the things that the world's offering just seem so incredible. And I get that sometimes life with God seems a little boring. Like, oh, you just read a book and hang out with cheesy people all the time? I get that. I thought church people were cheesy. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I was like, I don't wanna hang out with them. I'm going to that party. I get it. Sometimes it seems boring. Sometimes it seems like there's more out there in the world than there is inside the church. I get that. I know that temptation. But I also know the results of pursuing those temptations, of, of pursuing what the world offers us over God. It leads to death. It leads to hopelessness. I'm telling you guys, nothing in this world can satisfy our hearts. It just can't. Like nothing in this world is capable of satisfying the human heart. It doesn't matter how much money you get or, or sex or anything. Like nothing in this world can satisfy so tonight, if you're a younger brother, I just want to encourage you, don't, or don't miss out on what the Father has for you by chasing things that don't matter and will never satisfy you. Instead, make a decision right here, right now, to say, I'm going to leverage my life to give it all for God, the one who really matters at the end of the day. I once heard Jim Carrey. Do you know Jim Carrey, anybody? You watch The Mask or any of those shows? Okay, some people know him. Okay, good, good. He's a famous actor. He's got a ton of money. He probably got a lot of women, all those things. I once heard him say that I hope everyone can get rich and famous so they can, or, and realize all their dreams so they can realize that it's not the answer. It's true. Nothing of this world can satisfy. If you've been down that road, all you got to do is turn around and run to God, and he's ready to accept you tonight. I believe that. He's ready to welcome some sons and daughters home. If you're an older brother here tonight, and that's probably a lot of us, I want to speak to you as well. I know the temptation to just try to do enough religious things to get God to like me and to earn some blessings. I know the temptation to try to act like I have it all together and I'm religious and I'm a holy kid. As much as I know this temptation, I also know that's not the answer. When you pursue religion without relationship with Jesus, it leaves you bankrupt and you miss out on the life that God has for you. God wants your hearts, not your behavior. Although you're gonna behave once you realize his love, but he doesn't want your behavior first. He wants your heart and then the behavior will follow it. If, you, if you're here tonight 
and you're like me and you relate with either of these brothers or if you don't have a relationship with God tonight, I pray that you'll realize that Jesus is the way to the Father. Only Jesus can get you into the party of the kingdom. If you put your faith in Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see it at all, but he sees Jesus. When you trust in Jesus, God looks at you and he sees Jesus. So just imagine this. He doesn't see your junk. He doesn't see your sin, but he sees his only begotten holy son, Jesus, when he looks at you. So if God is looking at you and he sees Jesus, then he's pretty excited about who you are, right? He loves you. That's a pretty incredible relationship. If God's looking at me and sees Jesus, like, I, I, I don't think I've actually wrapped my mind around that truth, but it's a biblical truth. In the Bible, we see that each and every person has sinned, all of us. So if you think you haven't sinned, well, you're wrong, because uh, have you seen a child, right? We all sin as children right away. Like my daughter, I love her, but she hit me one time, and it hurt my feelings, okay? So, so we all sin. <laughs> and that's not nice. I don't think God likes it. I think that's a sin. So in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. And because God is just, our sin has a penalty. It has a price to be paid. And that penalty is death. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says that the wages of sin is, is death. Because we've each sinned, and the penalty for our sin is death, we are all born on a pathway towards death and hell. So we're headed that direction, and God's got to do something to change it, right? And we can't just try to get into heaven by doing a few good things. Because our fraud is going to be found out because we're not that good even if we go to church once in a while. Like, if you guys saw my thoughts, you'd be like, this guy should not be a pastor, right? This guy has no business being a pastor. This guy is messed up, right? We're all have sinned. We can't do enough good things to get into heaven. I don't know why I had that accent, but we're just going to move on from that. The point is, good behavior is not going to get you into the party. To be in the party with God, you got to be perfect, and we can't be perfect. But God does not leave us that way. 2,000 years ago, in the middle of history, a real person was born. His name was Jesus. This is a real human being. And he was fully God at the same time for all of eternity. God the Father, God the Son, which is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit experienced intimate relationship and community. And God the Son, Jesus, comes out of that into earth and is born as a human baby. And he is the ideal brother. He's the ideal son. He obeys perfectly and not to get into heaven. He obeys because he loves God. He was perfect. And then this Jesus put on a cross for our sins. This Jesus was perfect and then he paid a sinner's debt. A sinner's price. This should mess with us tonight, guys. Come on, we're always just doing religion, but we don't get it. Jesus came, he lived perfectly. And he died on a cross. And when he died on that cross, God let him go there because God knew that that was the only way that the sins of this world could be paid for. God knew that that was the only payment that was sufficient. And then this Jesus, he didn't just die. This Jesus is victorious. He goes in the grave. He's dead for three days, doesn't have breath in his nostrils. And then after three days, he rises from the grave. This Jesus didn't just die for our sins, but he rose from the grave. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he said that death does not have to have the final word. He says that the fall that happened in Genesis 3 does not have to have the final word. We don't have to die. Instead, for all of eternity, we can experience this love relationship with the Father forever and ever and ever, partying and eating a fattened calf, which sounds amazing. 
forever. He rises from the grave. He says, death is defeated. And now, in Romans chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that this Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. I want to see some people come into the family of God tonight. I want to see you experience that love. It changes you. I'm telling you guys, it changes you. And when you experience it, I'm going to warn you, when you experience it, you're never going to be the same. You're never going to be the same. I know I'm weird according to the world. I know people in here are weird according to the world. But I'm telling you, when you experience the love of God, it transforms you. And you want to lay down your life for the rest of the world. You want to see the rest of the world come to know Jesus. If you stand with me, we're going to pray tonight. Tonight, God wants to invite some sons and daughters home. Just like with a younger brother, he wants to run towards you and show you his kindness. God is kind. Do you believe that? God is kind. God loves you. In Romans chapter 2, it says that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. And repentance just means to change our way of thinking. But God's kindness is what transforms our heart. And Tonight, I want to give you a chance to experience the kindness and grace of God. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here tonight, and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you want to make the decision to come back to the Father or come into the party, I want to see you do that tonight. And all we do here at Chi Alpha is if we want to be saved or invite God to, to be our Father and come into relationship with Him, we just... Uh, or just lift our hands to heaven, just raise a hand, one hand at the end of service, just to say, God, we want to follow you. That's all we do. There's nothing magical about it, but it's just that signal saying, God, I'm running back to you. So tonight, what I'm going to do, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I want you to just slip up your hand. No one's looking around. It's just between you and God, but just slip up your hand as a signal saying, God, I'm turning around and I want to follow you. It's your signal saying, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and I want to be saved. I want to be in his family. So I'm going to count to three. And I want you to lift your hands in faith, okay? So one, two, three. Slip them up all across this room, all across this room. Tons of hands going up, tons of hands. Raise them high tonight to Jesus. All right, Jesus, we pray tonight, God, as you see our hands lifted, God, we ask you to invite us back into your family. God, we've just recognized that we've sinned. We've fallen short of your glory. And God, we know that the only way to you is through Jesus. So tonight we put our trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, tonight we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead. God, we want to be your sons. We want to be your daughters. In Jesus' name. All right, I want to give you one more, one more way to respond tonight. If you're a Christian in here tonight, but you just came in and you're feeling convicted about some struggles you're having and and you want God's love to change your heart in that area. So for me, I, I talked about how I struggled with pornography, even as a Christian, and I needed God's love to transform my heart so I could get free from that. I'm not saying that's your struggle, but I'm just saying if there's something tonight that just feels off in your relationship with God, I want you just to raise your hand right now between you and God, just asking him, God, can you help me in this area? All right, tons of hands, God, tons of hands. I'm gonna pray that God's love would invade all of our hearts, not just those of us who are coming into the family for the first time, but even those of us who have been in the family for a long time. So Father, tonight we ask you to show your love in this place. God, I pray that, that this truth, that your kindness leads to repentance would not be just an intellectual belief, but it would be a transformative truth that's inside our hearts, that we know that you are kind and that you're good. God, I pray that your kindness would help us to be the sons 
and the daughters that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.